the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. When I'm with people who don't know Christ, I expect them to go on and on and on about themselves. I don't expect anything else to come from them. But the sad thing is, when I'm with Christians, I have seen Christians dominate and monopolize conversations and never, never ask once how things are really going in my life or other people's lives. I've seen that, and they might say, hey, how's it going? And I'm fine, tell me about your work. And for the next half hour, they do that. And someone will say to me later, someone in the family, well, do they ask about the church? No, never ask once. It's hard not to talk about ourselves. After all, it's the subject we know the most about. But who would you rather be around? Someone who seems mostly interested in themselves or someone who displays genuine interest in you? Learning to not toot our own horn is part of the vital skill known as humility. When we humble ourselves and serve, we are following in the footsteps of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the way to the joyful life He wants us to have. Hello, this is Peter Silseth. We're glad to have you in class with us again today for another Verse by Verse. Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is leading us in a series of lessons from Chapter 2 of the Book of Philippians. I will tell you later how you can listen to any previous classes you might have missed, but it's time now for class to start. When we in the church promote ourselves and our personal ministries, we fall into a trap that will cripple our effectiveness and breed conflict in the church. Here's Pastor Steve to tell us how that happens with a real-life example. When I first came on staff at Lakeside years ago, 1976, I, uh, I was minister of evangelism, and I fell into that trap. Nothing else mattered to me. Nothing else mattered to me. When I took over the ministry, there were, I think, three people. And basically, the attitude at that point was, if, uh, if you don't sustain this and don't build it up, you probably don't have a job. That was what I did. And so I poured everything into that. Nothing else mattered to me, and I began to have that tunnel vision. I began to have that attitude that not only was my ministry the most important ministry, but every ministry ought to exist to serve my ministry. I fell into that. I had my own personal agenda. I saw that every ministry was secondary to mine. Everything had to serve me and my ministry. Why? Because I had something to prove. I was just out of Bible college. I didn't want to, I didn't want to fail. I wanted to succeed. I wanted the, the praise of men. And I treated people that way. In fact, I had a dear friend who came to me and said, uh, people are saying that you will only be their friends if you get in this ministry. You know, that's absolutely correct. That was my attitude. And thank God that, that someone came to me and, and, and challenged me and rebuked me like that. And thank God I came to my senses by the Spirit of God. You see, this is the type of attitude, if it's not dealt with, will destroy a church. It'll destroy a church. And it seems so spiritual. What can be more important than evangelism, I said? 
What could be more important than getting the gospel out? Can't everybody see this? You see, it'll divide the church into little interest groups with self-centered, ambitious people promoting their own interest in the name of ministry. And what really looks spiritual is nothing more than the flesh at work. You know, those who Paul said were witnessing out of wrong motives, they look good. They look good. They were witnessing. They were sharing the truth from all appearances. These were godly people witnessing for Christ, but in reality they were glory grabbers interested only in the praise of men. And there are a lot of people in local churches, evangelical local churches, who are glory grabbers. They use pious terminology. They speak about it so it's not so obvious, but you listen to them after a while and it becomes obvious. They exalt self. How? They tell you who they know, where they've been, what they've done. They tell you everything they've done in the past. And then they might add, you know, well, you know, praise God. And that all sounds so pious. It's not. It's really not. They're glory grabbers. I've learned over the years that if a man's ministry is going to be blessed of God, he needs to be careful. I might add if a woman's ministry, too. He needs to be careful that he doesn't have anything, he or she does not have anything to prove. You put people involved in ministry who have something to prove because of insecurities, you're going to be in deep trouble. Because they will always want to outshine the next person. You see, they're not free to be themselves. They're, they're, they're trying to promote themselves by impressing others with their success. And it just creates an environment of rivalry and competition. You cannot have that in a church. You especially cannot have that in sta- with staff. I want to show you a man who illustrates this. If you'll turn to just before the book of Revelation, there's the book of Jude, and then one book over, there's Third John. Third John. You didn't know there was Third John, did you? Many probably didn't. This is John's third letter. At least uh, we call it Third John. He wrote others letters too. But Third John is a neglected letter. It's dealing with hospitality. But uh, in the midst of of John writing about be hospitable to those who are uh, Gentile itinerant Bible teachers, John introduces us to a man who was not hospitable in verse nine. Only 14 verses here, so we say verse 9. John writes, I wrote something to the church, but Diotrephes, who loves to be first among them, does not accept what we say. Can you imagine that? An, an apostle, one who speaks for the Lord with apostolic authority, writes to the church, and Diotrephes, who loves to be first, loves to be have the preeminence, does not accept what we say. That's like saying I don't accept what Christ says. For this reason, if I come, verse 10 says, I will call attention to this to his deeds, which he does unjustly accusing us with wicked words and not satisfied with this. Neither does he himself receive the brethren. He's not being hospitable and he forbids those who desire to do so and puts them out of the church. What he's talking about is a dictator. He's talking about a pastoral dictator. Desire for preeminence was motivated by selfish ambition, threatened by other brethren. If other brethren came along who were Bible teachers, he put them out of the church. He wouldn't let them come. Why? Because his insecurity was born out of pride. Out of pride. Diotrephes is an example of what Paul is talking about. Selfish ambition, empty conceit. Now apparently the Philippian church had some of these 
party rivalries and glory grabbers. And Paul says that's not the way to produce a unified church. But then how do we do it? Well, we read on, verse 3. Do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility of mind. With humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. The key to achieving unity and harmony in a church is humility. Paul calls it humility of minds. It is an attitude that says, I will be a servant to you. I will serve you. I will take the position of a lowly servant. It's a viewpoint that sees us as lowly servants rather than high and mighty and rulers of others. It is that perspective that puts, that puts us under people to serve them rather than putting them under us to serve us. In fact, in the, in the Greek language, in classical Greek, this word was used of the, of the Nile River when it was low, low tide. Speaking of lowliness of mind, that's why it's translated lowliness of mind, humility. By the way, in the ancient Greek world, this was a despised concept. They scorned this. When, when Paul taught this, the Greeks ridiculed this because they prided themselves on being better than other men, not lower than anybody. In fact, one Bible teacher said this, it was apparent through the teaching of Jesus that humility came to be regarded as a virtue. It was always a virtue as far as the Hebrew scriptures and the Old Testament was concerned, but never in the Greek world until Jesus came. However, what the Greeks scorned, Jesus taught as a virtue, and more than that, he modeled it. We looked at John chapter 13. You don't need to turn there. We looked at that in our pastoral prayer. I read that where Jesus put an or put a, put an apron around themselves and he washed the disciples feet that's an illustration of humility the great god of the universe became like an oriental slave and washed their feet and i might add they were filthy feet they were filthy feet and he washed them because they ate by reclining and he didn't want someone's filthy feet with stuff from sheep on them as they went through the the town and they didn't have covered shoes and things like that Jesus said, I do this for you as an example to follow me. We're to be servants like that. We are to, to have that spirit of humility. Humility puts the interests of others before self-interest. That's the way to achieve harmony. It's exactly why Paul goes on to say in Philippians how humility behaves. Not only is it a spirit of humility, a mind of humility. Watch this, verse 3. But with humility of mind, here's what we should do. Let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Now, keep in mind, Paul is not saying that we are to consider others morally superior to us. I'm not to look at you and say, well, you're better than me, and I'm inferior, and I've got to get some counseling because now the Bible says that uh, you're superior to me. No, he's not talking about moral superiority, but that our consideration for others precedes concern for ourselves. In other words, I'm to put value upon you. You're to put value upon each other. You're to put value upon me. As, as believers, and therefore you are to be concerned about my interests. I'm to be concerned about your interests. It doesn't mean that one is, is better than another. In fact, Paul explains what he means in verse 4. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. In other words, a humble man isn't preoccupied with his own interests, but with the interests of others. If you regard others as valuable then you'll respond to their interests. You'll respond to those things that are important to them. You'll desire to meet their needs. And I might add in verse 4, when he says, do not merely look out, that word look out is make it your aim. Regard it as your goal. 
This doesn't mean that we should abandon our own interests. Notice verse 4 again. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but notice this, but also for the interests of others. The word but also means that you are to take care of your own interests. Paul doesn't mean that you are to abandon your family, you are to abandon yourself, you are to abandon your own needs to look out for others, that you become a a pauper so you can help make others wealthy. He doesn't mean that at all. What he means is you've got things that are important to you, right? Right, I do also. Not necessarily self-centered things, but things that are important to us. And you know how concerned you are about those things, right? Right. Therefore, other people have things that are important to them. With the same zeal and concern that you have for your own interests, you are to have for the interests of others. That's what he means. With the same concern that you have for having your own needs met, you are also to encompass the needs of others and meet them as well as your own if you can. Speaking of considering the concerns of others, perhaps you just found this program on your radio and are wondering what's going on. Let's pause a moment to introduce ourselves. You are listening to Verse by Verse with Pastor Teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. We're glad to have you with us, and we hope you can study with us again every weekday. Hi, this is Steve Kreloff from Verse by Verse Radio. I want to thank you for listening to these broadcasts. We appreciate your faithful support of this ministry. And I and I want you to know that um, recently I've written a book about romance and marriage. It's called The Pleasures of Marriage. It's a verse-by-verse exposition of the Song of Solomon. I think it'll help your marriage. I think it'll strengthen marriages. I think it will uh, also help those who are singles, who are preparing to get married or hope someday to get married. This book is available on Amazon.com. And once again, it's called The Pleasures of Marriage. As a faithful listener to these broadcasts, I feel you should know that Verse by Verse needs your financial support, and we appreciate your financial support. It's costly to prepare these programs, and we can only continue to do so if our listeners support this ministry. So I would ask you to please consider giving a gift as a way of saying thank you to the Lord for providing this program to help you in your Christian walk. All gifts to Verse by Verse are tax deductible. You can give via PayPal on our website, versebyverseradio.org. That's versebyverseradio.org. Or you can send your gift to Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. That's Verse by Verse Ministries, P.O. Box 5884, Clearwater, Florida, 33758. Seven five eight. Thank you, and may the Lord richly bless you and strengthen you as you listen to him speak, verse by verse. Let's get back to our study of unity in the church from Philippians chapter 2. Now, can you understand why unity only comes about when we serve others? Because there's no conflict when we put value on others and seek to promote their interests. If I seek to lift you up, and meet your needs, and you do that to me, then we've got harmony. But if I seek to promote myself and my causes and my needs, and you do that, then we've got chaos. It's as simple as that. It's only when we exalt self and stubbornly seek our own agendas that our disunity breaks out. It's power struggles, what it is. I thank God for our leadership at Lakeside, our elders. We do not have power struggles. We really don't. I've had people who say to me, well, I can't imagine how you can have a plurality of pastors. And you mean one is not in charge of the others? That's absolutely right. Well, how does it? I, I, we couldn't do that. You can't do it if you have the wrong men. 
You can't do it if you have men who are glory grabbers. But if you have men who are submissive to the Lord Jesus, then you don't have power struggles. You see, it's a spiritual issue. Leadership in the church is a spiritual issue. Not who has the best uh, uh, equipment from business. Not who has the best head for figures and understands how organizations run. When we consider ourselves more important than others, then we'll stop at nothing to promote ourselves and our own causes. Now, as we close, let me bring this down to a practical level. I want to give you some very practical ways to put these truths into action. You see, you don't need me to expound that much on this. It's rather obvious. But let me just help you in this very area. First of all, I would suggest stop talking about yourself and your accomplishments. For some of us, that's going to be a real discipline. For some of us, just start asking other people about themselves. When I'm with people who don't know Christ, I expect them to go on and on and on about themselves. I don't expect anything else to come from them. But the sad thing is, when I'm with Christians, I have seen Christians dominate and monopolize conversations and never, never ask once how things are really going in my life or other people's lives. I've seen that in uh, taking vacations and being with people, and I'm around other believers, and uh, they might say, hey, how's it going? And I find, tell me about your work. And for the next half hour, they do that. And someone will say to me later, someone in the family, well, do they ask about the church? No, never asked once. In fact, there are some relatives who, uh, who visited here, one, one in particular, and he never once asked about this ministry. And he was coming to Florida, and he visited here. You know what he said to me? I didn't know about the church. I thought you met, uh, I thought you were in a little trailer park. And I said, well, you never asked. Stop talking about yourself and your accomplishments. Christians ought to take an interest in other people and not monopolize conversations about themselves. Lay down our lives for the brethren. By the way, that's where joy comes in, and that's the theme of Philippians. Philippians chapter 1 tells us if you want joy in your life, then be interested in Christ's concern, exalting him, getting the gospel out, spreading the word. But chapter 2 tells us if you want joy, be interested in other people, not just yourself, and not only Christ's interest, but other people. Secondly, I would, I would suggest to find out about some other ministries in this church and work at promoting them. I don't care if you head up a certain ministry. Don't limit yourself to that ministry. Ask questions of other people. Don't become absorbed in your own little world of ministry. Be aware of other ministries. There are some of us who don't know what's going on. Ask questions. Find out about that ministry. How could you be of help? Is there something you could pray about? Even if you're not involved in that, find out about it. Don't get involved in your own world, and that's all you see. And finally, meditate on Christ as a model of humility. Time ran out, but I wanted to go over John 13. But next week, we're going to see that Jesus is the model of humility. Look at verse 5 of Philippians 2. Have this attitude in yourselves, or this mind in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, he did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. Next week, Lord willing, I'll explain what that means. But for now, what we need to understand is that Jesus Christ is the model for humility. And I would say, meditate on Christ as that model. Don't have others who are models. I mean, as far as the world is concerned, because the world, you see, the world is just interested in putting on its snowshoes and out racing one another so that polar bear gets the friend. Christians, Christians are interested in saying, you get your snowshoes on, I'll stay, and I'll fight that bear. Let's bow for prayer.
Where do you stand when it comes down to this issue? Where do you stand as far as your attitude? Are you looking out for number one? That's where the world is coming from. But Christians are to be different. And we've been changed. If there's any encouragement that comes from oneness of Christ, and there is, then you've got to live this way. Are you living for selfish ambition? It's not wrong to make a living for your family. It's not wrong to, to uh, wear nice clothes. Not, that's not what he's talking about. But is, is it the motive of your, of your life to have people praise you and impress others and, and look good and, and, and be soaring on the scale of success and have people really think that you've made it? You see, you take that into the church, and you're going to devastate a church. Church just can't stand and can't handle glory grabbers. Satan will, will and, and tries to attack that way, so you've got to have your heart right with him. Do you have that humility of mind? Greatest sin that we all struggle with is pride. Where do you stand on that? Do you confess it to the Lord? Lord, de- I, I am so proud. Deal with me. Deal with me. I'm, I'm proud on the baseball field. I'm proud in my home. I'm proud at my job. Listen, may God break us of pride. Greeks thought it was wonderful. Jesus said it's, it's a sin. Do you consider others as more important than yourself? Do you look at, at them as, as having needs that need to be met? Or are you preoccupied with yourself? You get a church of people preoccupied with yourselves, disaster is ahead. Let's look out for the interests of others. Would you commit commit that to the Lord and let him drive that into your heart? What maybe you've heard these truths over and over and over again. I find myself having to come back to this chapter and remind myself this is what it's all about in terms of relationships. And if you don't know Christ, I want you to understand that Jesus left his home in heaven and he took on the form of a bondservant and he died for your sins so that you could have oneness with him, so that you could not only have your sins forgiven, but you could have a new life in Christ right now. I encourage you, I urge you to come to know Christ, to trust him as your Savior and Lord. Repent of your sins and place your confidence in Jesus as Savior, the one who died for you. Father, I would pray right now and do pray for each of us here. Lord, these are such basic truths, so basic that we all can understand it. But I pray that we'll all put it into practice, that we'll all live this way, that we'll all be committed to thinking about others, to not, to not talking so much about ourselves, to not meditating on ourselves, to stop that, to, to really be aware of other people and other ministries and to have a great spirit of harmony. And Lord, not just for this week, but f- throughout the history, the future history of this church and this ministry, that these truths would transform us. It wouldn't just be something we're aware of today and then uh, starting next week we go back to being self-centered. I pray that you'll bring us back to this and remind us and Lord, help us to stop monopolizing conversations about us. Father, make us servants that we might be humble enough if you called us to, to even wash each other's filthy feet. For this we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for listening today. We'll have more about unity in the church on the next Verse by Verse. 
That humility that Pastor Steve talks about is not only counterintuitive, it's difficult to achieve. It takes discipline and constant prayer, asking God to help us to subdue our pride. Pastor teacher Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel is guiding us in a series of studies from the second chapter of Philippians. Pastor Steve has been teaching since 1981 at Lakeside, and his practical messages come to your radio through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries. We are a faith ministry supported by the gifts and prayers of listeners like you. We are on the web at versebyverseradio.org. You can find today's program and many previous ones on the website. While you're there, you may want to sign up for our free podcasting service. Once again, that's versebyverseradio.org. If you would like to have a CD or a cassette with the entire message of which today's class was taken, you can order one by calling us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we will call you back during weekday office hours. Our number again is 727-441-1714. Examples of power and what the world calls greatness abound. But there are not that many good examples of humility. It's not that they don't happen. It's just that society does not lift them up as something to emulate, and so we don't hear about them. But we don't need multiple examples, just a perfect one. Christ set the perfect example of humility for us. We will consider that more completely on the next Verse by Verse. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records of the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.